Hey guys, welcome to In Defense of the Genre Podcast. Uh, we got another episode coming at you today, and we're going to look at the song Trusty Chords by Hot Water Music, and today I'm joined by... My name is Ryan. Yeah, this is uh, Ryan Watkins. He is probably what I would call my punk friend. Former punk. Former punk. I got it, I got it together, so it's not punk anymore. <laughs> yeah, now it's former punk, current Pickering suburb resident. Um, so, so I guess to start it off, um, do you remember the first time you heard Hot Water Music or this song specifically? I'm pretty sure the first song I heard by Hot Water Music was this song, and I'm looking it up right now on Punkorama, Volume 8, <laughs> which I downloaded on my mother's computer, song by song, and it's song number three. What, what else was on was on Punkorama 8? You've got bangers from The Distillers, yeah. Motion City Soundtrack, Rancid, Matchbook Romance, Bouncing Souls. You have a very wide variety. Everything from Randy the Black Keys. <laughs> so all of your favorite bands. Yes, and Mill and Colin, obviously. <laughs> was it a Stiller song, Seneca Falls? No, it's I Am Revenant. Wow, that's a so that's was, an unexpected twist. <laughs> so it was on their their second album, I think. The first one that mattered, in my opinion. So I think the first time I would have heard Hot Water Music, um, I found out about this band because I liked Alkaline Trio. So it would have been like that split crossover where like they covered yes. where uh, Alkaline Trio did radio. And uh, Bleeder was the other song, I think, that got switched between the two. Yeah, I was a big fan of Alkaline Trio and their uh, Sims-based music video for radio. Their <laughs> fan-submitted music video. I think, Have you seen that? Yes. But I think I heard Radio by Hot Water Music before I heard Radio by Alkaline Trio, so I hate Alkaline Trio's version. Wow. I cannot listen to it. Yeah, I was a big Alkaline Trio fan as a skater teen, and that's definitely, like, how I got into Hot Water Music. That's heresy. Yeah, and I think, like... Um, Probably for a while, when I first got into them, the only album I cared about at all would have been Caution, like, and probably only, like, four songs that I completely loved and listened to on repeat all the time, like, Remedy and, like, Wayfarer and Trusty Chords, and then the rest I was like, yeah, I don't care about any of this at all. And then, like, years later, I was, like, more into emo music, and then I, like, got into, like, the earlier records, and then still, like, I am still barely getting into songs off the later things post-caution. Post-caution is a a very dangerous place to be. Except, like, the scary part about post-caution is, uh, we saw Hot Water Music live recently, and they have that song, Never Going Back, off their new record, and I was like, what is this old song? This is amazing. (laughs) So, I think it's just maybe just bias. It's scary. (laughs) Yeah, it's scary because it's probably actually good, and then you just feel bad because you're like, I just assumed everything on Exister was bad. I didn't really give it a chance past two listens. It says a lot about where my mind is because I can't like something if it's past caution. It's just not allowed <laughs> as per punk rules. So I guess we'll get into a little bit about Hot Water Music, the band itself, and kind of how they started. So they were formed in uh, the punkest city in the entire world. Would you say that? <laughs> Gainesville, Florida, home of the fest. If you frequented punknews.org, you very care about Gainesville, Florida and the bands that come from there. It's like, it's punk rock mecca. Yeah, you gotta... <laughs> Florida in general for punknews.org, I would say. It's hard to imagine a less punk place in my head, but somehow it's just existing no- like that. <laughs> nothing screams punk quite like retiring snowbirds and, <laughs> I don't know, Tampa. And Disneyland. Some of my favorite things. (laughs) The founding members are still the members that are around today. So it's uh, Chuck Reagan, Chris Wallard, uh, George Rebello, and Jason Black. They formed the band in 1993, which is probably the day I was born. I can only imagine. They didn't list when they formed as a band specifically, but I can't imagine it didn't line up with my birth. Yeah, I can't imagine it not happening. I would have been three years old. I'm assuming that I got their first album when I was four. 
Yeah, that checks out. <laughs> the band name is uh, based off of a short story collection from Charles Bukowski, which is a very 1993 thing. I would say the band is probably more popular than the short story collection at this point. I think that if I was explaining where that band name came from now, I wouldn't tell anyone that it was a Bukowski <laughs> collection. I would just say it was something that we thought of. Yeah. Because that reference would have aged not as well as they thought it would, I would say. I would say even into being into literature myself, like probably not really getting into it till like grade 11, grade 12, it was like... Charles Bukowski is, like, really cool then, but now it's, like, Charles Bukowski is really embarrassing to, like, literary, and, like, also, like, has questionable ethics and moral standards, like... That's, that's, yeah. It's aged poorly both ways. Both ways, yeah. <laughs> Ethically and as far as, like, how cool it is to like it. So, um, basically, they started out this band, and then, um, they released their first EPs in 1995, and, uh, they were just kind of hanging out around Gainesville, playing local shows and stuff, and kind of putting out on um, small labels, uh, a couple of early records. And then, in 1996-1997, they broke up for the first time, and not the last time. <laughs> <laughs> and we don't really know why. Um, surprisingly, uh, if you go to the Hot Water, uh, Hot Water Music Wikipedia, there's not much there, and you have to go to other sources, which is really weird for a band of their stature to have, like, nothing on their early years. Yeah, you would think that someone, at least in the local scene, like, around No Idea, the record label, and Gainesville, would have followed them adequately enough to actually tell you what happened. Or they're one of those weird bands that, like, people care about on Wikipedia, because, like, you go to, like, click the early years section, and it's just a box that says, like, this article needs expanding. <laughs> Why is it there, then? Yeah. Someone cared enough to take down the, the word-of-mouth information, but not enough to fix it. Yeah, not enough to edit it or actually add to it in any way. So uh, the hiatus, or breakup, didn't last long, though, because they were reunited by 1998 to put out the record No Division. Or I think it was 1998. It would have been around there. They got back together, they put out No Division, and... Uh, was No Division still independent, or was that... No Division came out on some records, which was a really small imprint that had, like, nine bands on it, I believe. Apparently it was a very well-received album, so I was completely off the ball. I thought it, people didn't like it at all. Yeah. And that's incorrect, because it's, like, everyone's favorite album. Yeah, it was weird because you said it that, and I was like, I thought it was either Caution or No Division were the two people loved. Yeah, which it clearly is. So, uh, after No Division, that was kind of when, I would say, people got really into them. And uh, they signed to Epitaph, which is a pretty big label, I would say. Like, medium big. Upper as, middle class size. As far as punk music is concerned, Epitaph and Fat are the records, right? Like, other than that, once you've made it to that stage, you are independent still, but just below major. And yeah. people still treat you kind of like you're at a major if you're a big underground band. Coming to the odds, they really Flight in a Crash, and then Caution in 2002. Flight in a Crash is what I was thinking when I thought No Division wasn't well-received, because <laughs> Flight in a Crash did not have a lot of fans. I don't really remember ever connecting that much with Flight in a Crash, but for a punk band, like with such a local following, the first album they put out on a bigger label like Epitaph is usually not oh, received well. You're going to get, yeah, of course, that's going to be the one that's not well-received. <laughs> yeah. I think you expect it going in when you release, when you jump from No Idea or some to a bigger label. You're going to lose the hardcores. I wonder if this album is better in retrospect. Like, I, I think people have come around with it, because people talk about, like, Hot Water Music fans often say they have one of the most solid discographies through and through. Yeah. So I think it's kind of like, like, uh, as the Eternal Cowboy thing, where it's like, I hate this when it come, came out, but later... Looking back, it's the best. Yeah, as <laughs> yeah. Eternal Cowboy by Against Me is probably the pinnacle of their existence in my opinion i think that retrospectively people will probably appreciate it more than they did originally because it has paper thin right that was probably the jam off of it 
Yeah, to stop on Paper Thin, it was one of only four Hot Water Music songs to ever have a music video. It's probably the first, right? Yeah, it would have been. As far as I can tell, I've seen them live a couple of times. Paper Thin always is a favorite. People love it, so I can imagine that people have come around to it. Well, I've always considered Paper Thin to be just like a the punk version of what Sarah said by Death Cab for Cutie. It's like the same, like, walking back and forth, like pacing endlessly in a hospital. It's like the exact same thematically. Yes, absolutely it is, too. <laughs> And they're both very good songs, too. So around this time, in the early 2000s for Hot Water Music, uh, they actually, although they were on Epitaph, uh, Chuck Reagan and Chris Wallard had this project called Rumble Seat, which was started at this point being put out by No Idea. When a lot of bands leave their smaller labels and go to a bigger independent label or ma- major label, they, they still have relationships. You see... Brendan Kelly from the Lawrence Arms still put stuff out on Red Scare. Um, a lot of people who leave Asian Man Records still record stuff for Asian Man on splits and all kinds of like compilation albums. So that's really, there's a precedent for that to happen. I think a lot of people feel like they're at, when the bands start having momentum, they feel like they're portraying the smaller labels when they go to a bigger label, but it's really not the case. Yeah, I remember, I read this thing, like, um, maybe a couple weeks ago, they did a big, uh, someone did a big profile on, um, on Mike Park, Asian Man Records, and, uh, he's just like, yeah, people have, like, because of the bands that we had earlier on, assumed we're, like, kind of a big label, and it's like, I just do this, like, out of, like, my garage or a spare room, and it's like, I have no money for this, you know? (laughs) It's just like, these bands come in, and then they eventually get bigger, and it's like, oh, I have no money to do promotion for you, and I can't do anything for you, and most of them are like... Yeah, sure, I'll stay. <laughs> yeah. Well, talking about Against Me, who were also on No Idea Records, they left No Idea because their van broke down and they, didn't, they couldn't afford to get a new one. And I'm pretty sure Fat offered them a van and that's why they signed. <laughs> but when that happened, the underground turned on them because, of course, up the punks. I mean, honestly, they should have toured by walking. It was still honest. If you were... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> a true anarchist band would have walked their way around the country. Or hitchhiked. I thought they were anarchists. Exactly. They had the success of... Uh, Caution coming out in kind of like this mid-major label kind of and uh, starting to build steam and then for the second time Chuck Reagan decides to leave the band <laughs> call it quits in 2005 to focus on his personal life because at this point he was raising a family living in the woods fishing the most fun Instagram account to follow is Chuck Reagan's because there will be weeks where he'll post nothing but fishing and then the next week he'll do a bunch of cooking stuff on a grill because he's the manliest person on planet Earth. And then he'll have all these outback hunting, fishing videos. And then all of a sudden you'll see him skateboarding and like dropping in on a mini ramp on a cruiser board. And I assume he's the coolest person on planet Earth because he has all of these interests and you think that he would leave some behind, but he didn't. Yeah. He's still like, yeah, I like to hunt deer and up the punks at the same time. I think at this point they were all starting to live in different neighborhoods. And for some reason... Oh, they were. I read this interview today where uh, talking about hot water music and how they practice. They always practice in Gainesville, even though it's completely not practical anymore. Because <laughs> it's like <laughs> just gotta remember those roots. Yeah, like they don't all live there. But every time it's like, well, we meet up. At, we're gonna meet up and record. We're gonna meet up and talk before tour or something like that. And it's just always in Gainesville, even when it doesn't make sense, which is heartwarming. That's where the punk power comes from, though. <laughs> so at this point, Chuck Reagan really started to focus on his solo career for a while and put out a bunch of records. And I think on his first solo album, he did a song by Rumble Seat. Was California Burritos on his first album? I'm asking you questions you don't know the answer <laughs> to. Yeah. And I, I know very, like, 
very on the outside edge of knowing the answers to, and I just assume that you should because you do this for a living. <laughs> When's your solo podcast coming? Like, yeah. when are you going to go from being indie to... Yeah, this is going to be like on the Noisy Podcast Network. Yeah, exactly. Sometime. You're going to be up there with Joe Rogan. Twinkly guitars by day, in defense of the genre all night. That's what they say. All day. So uh, when Chuck Reagan's doing his solo project, a lot of other bands normally break up at this point, but... Hot Water Music decided to become The Draft, which is a thing you surprisingly don't see happen very often, is one member has to leave and a band breaks up, and the other three continue going under a different name. I think because they have that dual singer dynamic, yeah. they could make that work. I don't think a lot of bands could do it if their singer left, but because, again, Woolard arguably wrote the more successful singles <laughs> anyways, as far as Hot Water Music is concerned. The Draft came out, and that was... I love The Draft. Those first records by The Draft are fantastic. I was sad about hot water music and then those records came out and i was like never mind <laughs> never mind this is fine chuck can go and be johnny cash jr and i can listen to them be punk rock so uh, they toured a lot under the draft they were basically giving it a full go just as they did with hot water music but the hiatus did not last long again <laughs> chuck reagan left in 2005 and was back in 2007 but other than a rarities compilation even though they were touring and being together and were officially active they didn't put in another record until 2012 with Exister. so they had it almost they had an eight-year gap i believe between records if you were a fan of everything they did i think um rubello joined senses fail at one point yeah i was touring with them uh rubello was playing with against me at one point chris Wollard and the ship thieves were releasing albums which I think they're just called The Ship Thieves now, and Chuck Reagan probably put out three or four albums in that time, too. So it wasn't like they stopped recording music. It's just... If you were a fan, you were sustained. Yes. You weren't left hanging like a yeah. Dillinger 4 hiatus. <laughs> they spread their seed. You were yeah. able to get what you needed. They were continuing, and then they finally put out another record after Exister in 2017, but Waller had to step away from the band for health reasons, and because they couldn't get Chris on this tour with Hot Water Music, they had to get the two backup Chris's to take turns covering for them on the tour, which were Chris Demakis of Less Than Jake and Chris Cresswell of The Flatliners, were both filling in Chris Waller's spot on various tour dates throughout that tour. Both of those Chris's have very strong resumes, too, so Chris Cresswell probably has the most punk voice in punk. So he, true. he fits in like a peg. And Chris from Less Than Jake is also from Gainesville. So he's got that going for him. <laughs> and I feel like most people who are fans of Hot Water Music are fans of both of those other two bands. Dude, I loved Less Than Jake. When I, like, Less Than Jake was my shit, like, in grade nine. Skateboarding and listening to, like, Hello Rockview? That's, like, paradise. It's ska season. It's, it's, it's the season. <laughs> Summer 2018 is ska season. Scott's you gotta re recognize your Less Than Jake route. Scott's coming back. <laughs> Hot Water Music as a band, I got into them probably, what, after their first breakup and didn't really, really like them until after their second breakup. But they're so well-respected in this in many scenes, actually, that when they broke up and got back together, it was like the scene that I was a part of was so ecstatic that I, I've never seen a revival like that. Usually when bands get back together, everyone was like, oh, okay, what are they doing here? Hot Water Music getting back together was a big deal for a scene. It wasn't... What didn't appear at all to be a, sort of a cash grab at all. No. Like, like, it was clearly just, uh, I had all these other things going on, so did this other person had all these other things going on, and now we can make it work again. You know, it wasn't like, we broke up because it wasn't working anymore, and then yeah. we're forcing it because we want to make some Lauriers. <laughs> yeah, it's all about those Lauriers. <laughs> and I think that the lack of it being disingenuous really allowed them to be accepted back into the scene so with such open arms. 
So let's talk about the song specifically, Trusty Chords. It's kind of like a, almost like cliche subject matter. It's like uh, drinking a lot because you're going through a heart heartbreaking I moment s- in your life. The, the most emo subject matter, I would say, even if the sound isn't traditional. I emo. was thinking of it as like, there's almost like a way for this to be like, kind of like interpreted as like man overboard, like friendship pop punk. It's like uh, these songs in this town and like, like yeah. I was thinking, I didn't think of it until today, but there's very like a, like kind of pop punk that I don't like element here that I never really considered. If they, if they had gang vocals singing about how their friends were like the best thing ever. Yeah. There was a part um, I was reading today about their vocal style that changed on Caution because they kind of alternate on choruses and stuff on this. But before, Wallard and Reagan would sing on top of each other or at the same time for the choruses. And that would have been a dangerous step in the song for gang vocals. Yes, for sure. That would have pushed this over the top. Which is strange because that was probably their earlier records. That was a very important feature and I enjoy it a lot too. But I can't imagine it working on Caution. Like the songs, they're separate but together at the same time. It's hard to explain. Also, like, I don't know if I would, like, going to a Hot Water Music show, Trusty Chords, everyone sings it, you know, and they usually have a guest out who also sings it, you know, there's like, like, I think it could work, but I think it gets very, very pop punky and yeah. like, kind of like, bro-y. For sure. <laughs> when you say, like, when you have guests out singing it, we were talking about earlier, I don't think I've ever heard Chris Wallard sing the song. Yeah. And I've seen Hot Water Music perform it probably three times. Once with Dave Hawes and probably twice with Chris Cresswell. And they, yeah, I don't think I've ever heard the song sung by the person who wrote it. <laughs> the, some of the lyrics were actually brought back in by Chuck Reagan, which is actually kind of funny because this is a Chris Wallard song. Yes. In uh, State of Grace, there's a line, but I hate the taste of medicine. We all hate the taste of medicine, which is kind of like a buddy look at like, haha, like my <laughs> friend wrote that, but it's me too. <laughs> and we all sing it too. So we <laughs> all do hate the taste of medicine it's true couldn't be more true than a hot water music show and like there's definitely like a i think i was thinking about today in like the punk community that i know of and went to the shows everyone had hot water music tattoos and was like just drinking pbr and jameson and it's like maybe that jameson element came from part of the song like i bet like i know as a kid like hearing the song like soko amaretto lime by brand new made me want to go drink soko amaretto lime sure or like double whiskey coke no ice made me want to order that so there's probably a whole generation of punks who like just drink jameson's because of the song it's sort of a chicken and egg kind of question yeah. Which came first, <laughs> the Jameson or the song that referenced the Jameson? Who knows? musically there's kind of like it's like a perfect skateboarding song like i remembered like when i was looking this up i was like oh yeah trusty chords i was in tony hawk's underground one and it's not <laughs> <laughs> but it should have been the the song in the the video game was remedy and it's just like this song was so iconic i assumed it would have been the one in the video game and remember it being there but... I, I think it would have worked better than remedy because yeah. remedy it's that's the album's opener i believe yeah that's a good like get you pumped up kind of song but it doesn't have the sort of flow that that trusty chords has where you can hit that rail and like land on it and do a slide that i'm, I'm surprised that remedy is the one in the game yeah it's like and i probably would have been listening to this song a lot earlier than underground one like this probably would have been like to sum it up for me i probably would have been into hot water music by like like tony hawk 2 <laughs> pro skater 2 <laughs> yeah if we're going by time increments of tony hawk's pro skater games yeah <laughs> well i mean like most of my music interest at that time was formed by tony hawk video games yeah that's fair <laughs> that the tony hawk soundtracks are huge probably yeah. i think they outlive the game more so than 
than the game itself. Like, yeah, the I feel like every May 16th, I still listen to that stupid <laughs> Lightwagon song. <laughs> they should get, like, the music director from Tony Hawk's and then get the rights from Skate from EA and go and put that together because that'd be the best game of all time. Yeah, if I had Spotify money, if I had Spotify money, I would hire that Tony Hawk guy to just make playlists all the time. <laughs> <for people laughs> just make playlists. It's so much melancholin. Yeah. It's just like... <laughs> The Bouncing Souls, Public Enemy, Together at Last. Which is what I've dreamed of. So basically in the song, lyric-wise, it's him going through this breakup, kind of seems like it happened, and then he went out, drinks a ton of Jameson, and in the morning he's like, it's kind of like a cathartic, like, I feel terrible, but that means I'm still alive, and like, I can get better, you know? It's like, the, there's kind of like this look at it that's like hopeful, even yeah. though he's only talking about bad things. Yeah, lyrically, it matches a lot up with like early 2000s, like what was called emo, which is weird because... Because the people who were listening to Hot Water Music probably just absolutely hated <laughs> when Taking Back Sunday was on the radio yeah. and being called punk rock. Thematically, it's a lot like that, but the, f- the fans seem to enjoy it more when it's coming out of Chris Waller's mouth. Yeah, and like we should probably stop on the vocal styles of the band because like I feel like the two singers had two distinct styles of singing, and this would yes. be a Chris Waller song, and it's not quite as gritty or like grizzled as Chuck Reagan's is. It's kind of more clear. Like <laughs> Very this is... little vocal styles match quite like Chuck Reagan. But the in Trusty Chords, I would say it is quite, it's quite an accessible song like hot water music is kind of like this underground like punk band but this like it almost has like radio potential it i would think that it does it sounds at least on the surface like a much simpler um straightforward way of playing a hot water music song but if you listen the guitar is a little bit technical like yeah you have some hammer pulls and stuff in the background happening as you're listening to the chorus and even the start it's two guitars like it sounds like it could be one guitar but there are two guitars there playing off of one another back to some of the lyrical contact there's this line in it where he's like these pills shaking in my hand just make me feel defeated like i'm not able to just let her go away and that's like so like reminiscent of like the mid-2000s emo like that's something like from first to last would have written absolutely absolutely could have been and like i hate this place but i love these chords and empty fate just means an even score it's like a wonder years lyric it absolutely is <laughs> which is there and i can't imagine there's a lot of crossover fan wise for hot water music in the wonder years just us me yeah, yeah. <laughs> i'm the guy yeah that's the venn diagram right there <laughs> so so i'm gonna say like basically hot water music is a band kind of this is just kind of like a thesis i have and there's nothing no one no one else backs me but i would say they have three distinct stages of their life and their kind of sound they have this precaution sound and that's like kind of like it's more similar to like a band like jawbreaker or like kind of like these more kind of early punk bands then they had like this skate punky sound that pretty much only existed on caution and then later they kind of became like punk tragically hip <laughs> yeah it's definitely punk rock for dads kind of stuff yeah like hearing state of grace and realizing it, it's about like chuck Reagan being mad about like non-organic food growth it's like <laughs> jesus christ <laughs> yeah at least on exister it felt like a lot of chuck Reagan songs were very chuck Reagan songs they weren't written as hot water music songs like chuck probably wrote them and brought them to them to be played yeah whereas in the earlier days it f- seemed like they were probably a lot more cohesive when it came to writing and in the early days is when they actually used their rhythm section and everyone was just blown away by it (laughs) because you didn't get a lot of complex drum and bass behind 
yeah. or like early punk rock. Jason Black is the unsung hero of this band. <laughs> Absolutely, he is. Um, the man's a hero. Yeah, because like as when the band kind of changed and they started living in different parts of the world, like um, they'd either write as a three piece with Chuck or a three piece with Chris. Right? Yeah. They were like half the record was with, written with three of them and half the record was written with the other three. Yeah. So there's kind of like this disassociation that is like I like that in emo music. Like like the one singer does this, one singer does that. That like hot water music and Lawrence Adams has, and I also like dual vocal melodies where two people are singing to like kind of like taking back Sunday. I love both of that. Yeah, I love that a lot. But it works different for different people. Like I think the Lawrence Arms are more successful when Chris is writing his own songs and then Brandon Kelly's writing his own songs and they split the record down the middle and they go back and forth. I like Old Calcutta, but it's not my favorite by them. And that's when they kind of started singing together. I think it worked better when they were writing the songs and splitting the record up. So I want to go back to Precaution because... This kind of early album, like in No Division, is probably the only argument that I think you could have is Hot Water Music being an emo band. And if you look at this term, like emo core, that people apply to like the very early bands, like Rites of Spring or Jawbreaker or like these bands, and it's just depoliticalized hardcore punk. Like yeah. if that is your definition of what you think emo is, this is what Hot Water Music is. Like other outside of the song, like Free Radio Gainesville, it is just like hardcore punk without political lyrics. They aren't just like songs that are like, the government sucks, you know? Like that was around a lot at that yeah. time it's like these are very like introspective and like personal lyrics instead of like applied to like how i feel about the country as a whole yeah and they came they weren't around for like the glory days of like real original hardcore right they're probably a decade later you would even call it post emo core maybe they're not rites of spring but they're also not like the wonder years yeah or, or something a bit more contemporary emo yeah you were sending me this song translocation by hot water music and i was like this sounds exactly like bivouac era jawbreaker and I was like, yes, this song is amazing. And it's like, after so long, I've kind of never really considered Hot Water Music emo myself. But also my definition of what punk is has changed. Like, I don't think Hot Water Music is very punk because I don't find it very politicized. You know, when I think of punk, I think of like, like The Clash now. And this is like, like kind of like this melodic or core punk is like its own thing. I don't really consider that like punk. No, I don't. <laughs> the labels get, they get really tricky yeah. when you look at it from that lens. And you try to, you can't really understand how, when I started listening to Hot Water Music, and I think their sound, at least post-caution, was really like influential on like gruff vocals, pop punky kind of guitars, and lyrics about like, you know, having a hard time using self-medication as a tool to stop it, but also having friends around that are also having a hard time with you, which leads, I think, epitomized by, like, Red City Radio kind of stuff, where Garrett Dale's voice sounds like a carburetor, but he also has, like, pop-punk sort of fun rhythm and melodies behind it. So in that vein, I don't think that there's any real emo in it. But when you go back there, you see it when people who were there, they were labeling them as emo. Yeah, it's like, I think a lot of these terms, like what a person considers punk, you know, what a person considers emo is what they consider like staples of the band. Like, I consider a band like Mineral or American Football to be like my definition of emo, but that's very different than other people. And I consider my punk to be like, like, I don't know, like Screeching Weasel or like The Clash, you know? (laughs) Yeah. And I think my my idea of emo probably comes from you because I, it's a very muddled scene when I look at it. Like, the front bottoms sound nothing like American football. Yeah. But the front bottoms are, like, considered emo, right? Like, if you listen to the first Joyce Manor record, I'd be like, these guys love Against Me and None More Black, and they're just super hardcore. Yeah. But then when you listen to them now, it kind of sounds like Weezer, and Weezer is also emo. Yeah. Emo, as far as I could tell, Weezer doesn't sound very much like Joan of Arc or... 
Owen yeah. or anything like that. It's it's just like these these two words. Like I think emo and punk are just like so tied to like ethics and scenes and times that they're less like have a concrete definition that some other genres have. So there's way more open to interpretation. Very fair. Like I would call Joan of Arc emo, but like other people would call it indie rock because like there's it's just like the experimental instruments and stuff going on there. It's very very like fragile. I think emo and emo has has to have some tie I think to punk rock in some ways. Whereas like you hear a band like Death Cab for Cutie and I don't think that what's the guy's name Ben Gibbard? Yeah. I don't think he liked Right to Spring, did he? No. Or is he looking into emo rock? He probably like loved built to, built to Spill and like Sebado. Yeah. But probably loved Sunny Day Real Estate. Well, yeah, because I don't know where a band like Death Cab for Cutie that's considered seminal emo, I think, for some yeah. people, fits in with bands like Joyce Manor or American Football or all the other bands that I feel have roots at least somewhat close to where Hot Water Music kind of comes from. Yeah, the weird thing about Death Cab for Cutie is, um, like, you listen to a band like Hot Water Music and you go back through their discography and they sound more and more like emo, yeah. like more of an argument there, but you look at Death Cab for Cutie and they sound more and more like the band Pavement. Yeah. <laughs> it's a hard, it's a hard um, distinction between what's indie and what's emo Yeah, when you move into those waters, like um, Bright Eyes kind of thing. Yeah. Bright Eyes is indie through and through, but they're considered very emo by some people, I think. Yeah, I w- and like I'd even make the argument that like some Bright Eyes records are more country than anything else. We've kind of, we've kind of gone off the beaten <laughs> path into what is emo and what's not emo. I, I guess we can jump right back into it um uh so trusty chords i mean this is a heated heated question for you right now trusty chords is a chris wallard song if you have to choose between chris wallard songs or chuck Ragan songs who are you going with here Ooh. okay i'm gonna pick my choice here because i think it might influence yours is i'm gonna go chris wallard like by 10 because i think i'm just enamored with chuck Ragan as a person so much that i like him more but it just like existing in a vacuum i don't think i'm ever gonna pick a chuck song over chris wallard chris has definitely the banger if i was gonna say hey do you like you want to listen to a band that I like called Hot Water Music? Yeah. I'm, I'm not throwing on a Chuck Reagan track. Yeah. Right? I'm going to throw on Trusty Chords or I'm going to throw on um, Paper Thin or Not For Anyone. Those are catchy songs that I can see having a mainstream appeal. Chuck Reagan, again, yeah, and I'm enamored him, with him as a person as well. I think he might work better outside of Hot Water Music. Not that he doesn't work well, but I think you see his strengths when he's doing his solo stuff. I think Hot Water Music is at their best when they sound like Caution Era Hot Water Music, but I think Chuck Reagan's was best earlier. Like like Driving Home, It's Hard to Know. Like No Division is the yes, Chuck album. for sure. And if you could say, like, you know, it de- I guess it depends on the audience, but like if I was trying to get someone into... Hot Water Music who'd never listened to any emo or punk, I would play Trusty Chords, Paper Thin, the hits. Yeah. But if someone liked emo or punk, I could de- like go to No Division and play the songs where both of them are singing, and that would work for them really well. I remember like a couple of years ago, like when I'd heard like No Division had all this appeal, and I was like, I don't really know if I like this. It kind of just sounds like kind of heavy. And then like her driving home, and was like, this is like emo as hell. <laughs> like Chuck yeah. Reagan's like, I should continue driving home through this dark highway instead of killing myself. <laughs> you know, it's like yeah. just like it's hard to believe chuck reagan having any sort of wavering so so another thing to mention on no division before we we get back into what we're actually supposed to be talking about <laughs> is uh tim barry of avail did guest vocals on hit or miss and i feel like tim barry is like a another chuck reagan in a way tim barry is like redneck chuck reagan it's not like, not like in a mean way but like in a much more like he's from the south you know he, he's not from florida yeah, he's from like yeah and i don't mean it like yeah i'm trying not to sound insulting because i love tim barry he's sort of like less planned and more sporadic of a person whereas chuck reagan seems like he really has a lot of things going for him not that tim barry doesn't 
it seems it seems more planned in Chuck's life, I would say. Yeah, and I would say the two kind of had like a similar faded career with like Simple Song is like one of the greatest punk songs of all time and it's like a revered song in the community. Yeah. Just kind of the way Trusty Chords is. And then both artists eventually ended up on like that what I would call the revival tour scene. Like a bunch of musicians who were had these great like older punk bands or rock bands and coming together and like evolving into singer songwriters or kind of like country influenced music. Yeah, Avail never broke up officially. I don't think. No. No, I think they're still like technically. No one's ever said like, oh yeah, Avail's done. Yeah, I don't know if I've ever listened to more than one Avail record though. <laughs> I think Simple Song was almost enough for me. I think that's probably the only Avail song I've listened to in like two years. Yeah, and I don't think Avail was ever pinned with the Ebo label either. <laughs> <laughs> like I don't think it. They treaded in the same water as early hot water music is concerned. <laughs> uh, the way bands you can kind of associate them with is hot water music now, it's kind of associated with either like a melodic punk thing for me or like an early emo scene. But when I first encountered hot water music, I would have definitely put them in the exact same vein as like Alkaline Trio and like Strung Out, which is not where I see them now. No. But it's just kind of like my own views have changed so much, which is kind of cool about how genre works. It's like, I would have definitely been like, oh, I know hot water music. I know their songs. This is what they sound like. This is the scene I put them in. And yeah, they were not there at all. Yeah, like originally I would have been like oh yeah Hot Water Music and the Bouncing Souls are like the same band Yeah. but then you you get more nuanced about it and you realize like they're nothing alike yeah. even though they I think they did a split EP together and I'm sure they're friends but it's very weird that they, they occupy the same space when you first get into them so so a thing I want to mention about because I think we're kind of winding down here and, and she does listen to this podcast so she's going to find out about this but um one of my favorite moments in my own personal life associated with hot water music is uh, Ian Perkins getting mistaken for Chuck Ragan, <laughs> which is one of the funniest things that has ever happened. Um, That's fantastic. <laughs> this person went up to Ian Perkins at a hot water music slash gaslight anthem show thinking it was Chuck Ragan's and got a photo with them and then posted it on the internet saying like, here's me and Chuck Ragan. And it was Ian Perkins, which is amazing. I think Ian Perkins is British too. I could be wrong, but I imagine he has an English accent. Yeah, but the thing is they it was the revival era kind of time like 20, 2012 2013 so they both would have worn the same kind of hat yes you know like the brit boy hat yes that's true too yeah and they were probably both wearing the exact same black pants and flannel shirt so it's 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 really funny to me but it's a very understandable mistake <laughs> until they talk because i don't imagine chuck reagan has a, a cockney accent and i don't imagine he has much of a voice left at all it's just sounds no, like diesel fuel <laughs> being burnt <laughs> if you listen to him talk in interviews it's it's very growly and guttural actually one of the other things I want to talk about that I don't have written down here is just some of the best like trusty chords or like hot water music performances because I feel like I can't on my own podcast mention hot water music without talking about one of my all-time favorite YouTube videos which is Chuck Ragan and Brian Fallon doing Great Expectations mixed with Warbrain yes. by Alkaline Trio. It's one of the, my favorite. It's one, I've watched this thing like a million times. I love it when bands that I like slip in lyrics from other bands that I like. And Brian Fallon used to do that a lot. Not so much anymore, I don't think. That, I love that so much. And I love it when... Um, Dave Hawes slips in songs. When he's doing a song, he'll slip in a, a reference to another band I like. I love it when bands do that. I don't know why they don't do that. <laughs> I imagine it's because they want to like distinguish themselves and not like feel like they're sitting on the shoulders of someone else. But I, I eat it up. Yeah, <laughs> I can't get enough of it. It's a cheap move. It's like having a dog die in a movie. It's like everyone's gonna cry. Everyone's like gonna your cry. movie. But I'm okay with crying. <laughs> it's cheap. You know? It's good. I'm okay with feeling that. I, I love it when bands do that. So um, another question, I guess, is uh, have you seen Hot Water Music live? 
I think we've mentioned it a couple of times. Yeah, we've but just like kind of like let's go back to these kind of tours. So so I think the first time I would have seen Hot Water Music would have been at 2012 Puza Fest. Yeah. And they played a really stacked show at Metro not Metropolis, at Fufu and Electronic. Yes. I know that Dave Hawes was involved because he sang Rusty Chords. Um, I know that the Lawrence Arms, all the people from the Lawrence Arms were there. Yeah, like some... I, I, this would have been the night where we saw Hot Water Music at Fufu's and then rushed over somewhere else to see Brennan Kelly and Sundowner play at some weird place. Yes. That was really small. For sure. And then Chuck Reagan also played at that same place after he played that or maybe before. I don't remember. Yeah, there was a lot going on at that. That was a fantastic... Pooza Fest, I mean, I haven't been in a while. But, but R.I.P. <laughs> they had like some of the best lineups going back when like Newfound Glory was headlining it. <laughs> I mean, if you like Newfound Glory, that's, you know, I, I hope you went and you enjoyed it. But yeah, I think that was the day you became not punk anymore was when you had to skip out on Dill- seeing Dillinger 4 to go to work. Yes, that's true. <laughs> R.I.P. R- my punk cred. <laughs> that's, that's exactly the moment it happened when you're like, oh, I have to go install this air conditioning unit. I can't yeah. see hot water. I can't see Dillinger 4. I have a call, so I'm going to go ahead and miss Dillinger 4. And I drove, so everyone else has to miss it, too. <laughs> because my life's more important than everyone else's, so forget you guys. We also saw Hot Water Music recently, I believe. They played with Iron Sheik and someone else, too. I can't remember who. It was the Flatliners. Yeah, I think, it would have because... been the Flatliners, because Chris Chris Cresswell was doing the vocals on that day. Yes, exactly. So, yeah, it was the Flatliners, and then Chris Cresswell was pulling double duty. Yeah, and I think that's the only two times I've seen them. They're they're a very strange band. They, they occupy a, a liminal space between punk and emo, I think. Yeah, they're certainly a band. They're a band. Is what for, I would say. For sure. I would say, if nothing else, they are a band. Yeah, so I think that's it um, that I've got on Hot Water Music. So uh, thanks to Ryan for coming on. Thank you for having me. Um, you can find us on Twitter at IDOTG Podcast, and you can write a review on iTunes because it makes me feel good when I see that we get more 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 star reviews. It, it warms my heart. And if, and if you need your air conditioner fix. Yeah, call Ryan. <laughs> I'll get in touch with his people. Um, goodbye. <laughs> Yeah.